Ready for some word now? Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. And let's continue with this series. We began a couple of week, couple weeks ago, series entitled More Than Anything. And I want to read again our text from Jeremiah 29, verse 13 in three translations. It reads this way, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When will, you, when will a person find the Lord? Well, number one, when they seek. And two, that seeking is qualified when they seek with all their heart. That person finds the Lord. Uh, and then the, the Message Bible reads that verse this way. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Praise God. Is that good? And, uh, and then Jeremiah 29, 13. Uh, that's what I'm still reading. Sorry. <laughs> I meant to say. And then from the Amplified Bible. Then you will seek me, inquire for, and require me as a vital necessity, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Amen. Amen. Could you help me? <laughs> Lots of signs and wonders today. <laughs> Amen. Uh, when you search with all your heart, vital necessity. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Last week, uh, we finished with some of these thoughts, and I said to you that whenever you are serious or whenever we are serious about uh, one thing, something else must be neglected. If I'm going to take this verse at, at its uh, face value here and seek the Lord or get serious about seeking the Lord in my life, then what happens is something else needs to be put off. Something else needs to be pushed aside because here, here's the thing. Whatever you are doing in your life, you're filling up your schedule. Even if you're, if, if, you know, it's just sitting in a chair looking at the wall, you're still, you know, sometimes we ask our kids, what, what, what are you doing? They say, nothing. Well, no, you're not. You can't do nothing. <laughs> what specifically are you? Nothing. No, that's not possible. Everyone always is doing something. And so what we need to do if we want to get serious about God is we have to make some substitutions. All right? We have to replace staring at the wall or whatever it is going on uh, with something that has a spiritual value to it, something that will cause spiritual progress to happen in life. And it has to be something more than what we were doing before. If I've experienced uh, the Lord and His goodness at a certain level in my life, and I want that level to be higher, let's say 10 is everything, it's in living in the glory cloud, you know, if I'm experiencing God on a, on a level 3 and I want to go to a level 4 or 5, I've got to do something different to get there. 
That doesn't mean I'm not going to do a lot of the same things, but something must be switched around. There must be a substitute in my life getting rid of one thing and inserting something that will bring spiritual progress. Okay? I don't want to ever be satisfied or settle for anything short of the potential of, of God. And so, uh, with, with, these, with these things in mind, what are you willing to intentionally neglect to get serious about finding God? What will you lay on the altar? What needs to die in your life? What, 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 can, you, what can you sacrifice and say, I'm doing this not, not to get... Uh, God to love me, not, not, nothing, nothing like that. I'm not trying to appease God like He's angry with me and I need to stop doing this. Thank God we're forgiven in Christ. Thank God His love for us is a constant. But what would I need to alter so I can live in that love? So I can experience uh, all, that, all that He has to offer. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews the 13th chapter. One of the... Uh, one of the themes of this book, of the book of Hebrews, has to do with showing the difference between the old covenant and the new. has to do with showing the 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 cessation of of blood sacrifices, of animal sacrifices, things that they would do under the Old Testament for the covering of. Uh, of their sin and the reminder of their sin every year. Hebrews talks about how Jesus was the final sacrifice. How how those things are now not necessary. And they could never really do the job long term anyway. And how there are no more sacrifices in our day, in our time. But then, at the end of this book, we read in chapter 13 about a sacrifice. That we're told to do. We're given a sacrifice. Just as he got done saying, no more sacrifices. Jesus suffered once and for all. Sacrifices are done. Then we read about a sacrifice that we're supposed to offer to God. And it says in the, in the 13th chapter, in the 15th verse, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Let us continually offer it. Not a one-time deal. Not a one and done. I praised. I'm done. I'm good to go. How's your worship life? I already did that. How's your praise life? How's your declaring of what the Lord has done? Well, I already did that. No, this is one of those continual sacrifices. Okay? Uh, He said that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. And so sacrifice then is something that still ought to be a part of the Christian life. Those who want to walk in, in, in God's goodness, they still give up things. In other words, what's a sacrifice? Sacrifice is when something dies, right? But we're not going to kill, kill our, aunt, our pets and stuff, thank God. <laughs> we're not going to sacrifice animals. We're not going to, something doesn't need to die so that our sins are forgiven. Jesus died so our sins are forgiven. But what am I going to sacrifice? What am I going to give up? I'm going to give up things that keep me in the flesh. That I'm going to kill stuff that hold me back from experiencing God. And from enjoying spiritual life. You know, over in Romans, the, the, the scripture says that, that um, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
So it's another sacrifice that's applicable to today. It's a, you know, it's almost an oxymoron, a living death. Right? A living death sacrifice. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that's a continual sacrifice. What am I supposed to do? Offer my body. In other words, every day I'm supposed to kill it. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about some type of self-abuse or, you know, or anything like that. But I'm talking about the desires of the flesh. Your flesh wants to be carnal and natural. And if you let it, you'll never experience God. Because he will seem distant. Spiritual things will seem unreal. There are those that will argue and fight and fuss and go to great lengths to tell, to tell people how crazy those of us who acknowledge and recognize spiritual things are. When the reality is, is they are so in the flesh world, so carnal and natural, they don't recognize what's right before our eyes and what is so obvious to those who have a spiritual life. But it's really there. And what happens is when we will sacrifice or offer a living sacrifice, our bodies, in this, cra- in this case, the sacrifice of praise. You don't always feel like doing this. You don't, it's, not, it's not always your flesh's desire to praise. Your flesh wants to complain. Your flesh wants to argue. Your flesh wants to do all kinds of stuff that hinders your spiritual progress. But what do we do? We sacrifice it. We kill it. We place it on the altar and put a dagger through it and say, no, you're not going to live. I'm not going to let let these thoughts, I'm not going to let this activity and these desires remain alive in my life. And when we do, what happens is we take a leap forward in spiritual stuff. But again, if I'm going to Back to, the te- back to the beginning, get serious about the things of God, then something else needs to have a less serious place. In other words, I can give it up. I can quit it. I can neglect it. I can, I, I can live without it. But one thing is certain, I'm never going to live without the Lord. In fact, without He is my vital necessity. Every day, He's more important than the air I breathe. He's more important than the food I eat. He's more important than the entertainment I take in. He's more important than my job. He's, more, he's, he's everything. When he takes that level of, of necessity, of vital necessity in your life, that's when the things of God become so real. He said, you'll find me. You absolutely will find me. And I tell you, in him is life. In Him is fullness. In Him is a completion. There is absolute peace. Remember, you keep your mind stayed on Him and He brings you into perfect wholeness and soundness. Amen. And so we talk about the sacrifice. What do we sacrifice? Sometimes we, we sacrifice flesh time. And flesh energy. It's our thought life. It's, getting, it's giving the Lord our thoughts. And if you're not trained and disciplined in that area, it is quite a sacrifice to put your mind on the Lord continually. But once you do, you find there's something very powerful there. Again, you find the Lord. Anybody ever heard of fasting? How many think that's a cuss word? <laughs> I'm not urging you to fast today, but uh, but in reality, I guess kind of I am. Uh, Fasting in its, in its essence is when someone gives up food, right? They miss a meal or they miss a series of meals and they do that generally to engage their spiritual life. They do that, they deny the flesh 
And then they activate spiritual things in their life, spend more time in the Word and prayer. And what happens in the midst of that is the things of God become more real to them. Spiritual things are more alive. Natural things of this world, they, they take their rightful place under your feet, under control. They take their rightful place of not dominating you. Amen. If a person is constantly up and down and their emotions are all over the map and, you know, their body is dominating them, I tell you, a good fast will put it in its place. Hmm. It's a big time out for your flesh. You're in the corner for the day. (laughs) I know you're going to scream, but I'm not listening. That's called a fast. But, you know, a, a person can fast really other things besides food. The reason it, it generally is food because we have such a strong desire for food and it'll make your body scream the most when you deny it something that it wants, right? It'll remind you day in and day out, feed me, I'm about to die, <laughs> right? And so the denial of that, but there are other things that people can deny. It's really what we're talking about. Getting serious about the Lord means I'm cutting something else off. Some things just for a period of time, you know, if it's bad enough, I guess you just quit it forever. Uh, but you cut yourself off of certain things for a period of time. You can deny yourself certain, certain pleasures and certain things that you enjoy doing, but it's for a purpose. It is, it is so that we can move forward and go further with God. I, I feel bad for people, but I realize some of, I, some, some of it I've entered myself. For us as a whole, when we get satisfied with living in a kind of a gray area, I think one of the greatest hindrances to us enjoying God's grace and His presence to the max is we're okay with the way things are. And so often, people are comfortable. Their life is not great. They don't have conversation with the Lord. It's far more distant, but life is generally okay. You know, it's pretty good. And so because of that, we kind of settle in and just kind of cruise along. It's one of the most dangerous things, to one of the greatest hindrances to experiencing God. What? Well, everything's pretty good. It's pretty good. You know, you've heard the, the statement that the, like the, the enemy to great is good, something like that. And the reason people don't excel because everything's okay. And I can continue the way things are for quite a while, probably the rest of my life. And I'll have a little bit of God. And other than that, you know, I mean, have a good life, have a generally good life, you know. And, and, and so we leave it at that. And that creates a complacency in the body of Christ. It, it, it creates this, this mediocrity to where it's not, bam, powerful. I mean, we read about some of the serious nature in the book of Acts when people first came to the Lord. And when the, the church was first empowered with the Holy Spirit, they did some extreme things. Extreme we're not told to do it, but like in, one, uh, in the early church, at one point they all started selling stuff. 
selling lands and stuff and bringing it because if someone else had need and I had more, I'd give it to them. And, and if I had a lot, they had a little, you know, everything, they, they would do that. It's, it wasn't a prescription to say this is how the church ought to operate at all times, but they did it of their own volition. It wasn't like government taxation kind of thing. They did it of their own free will. They did extreme stuff though. And someone came in the, so a couple came in the middle of that environment of people absolutely all in. There was nothing else. This is all about the Lord. We are saved. They are seeing the power of God on display on a regular basis. The glory of God would come. Buildings would shake. People would be healed of great things. Someone came in the middle of it, a husband and wife, and started telling a lie about what they sold. And they fell dead right in the middle of it in Acts chapter 5. And we have, we have these type of things going on where there was a, there was a real seriousness about this. And the, body, the Bible says that people on the outside would observe. And, and they wouldn't dare join the group. They didn't just want to sign up. But in the middle of that, the Bible says that the Lord added daily to the church. I mean, every day people were getting saved. But there was a respect, even from the outside, of the church. Because they were serious about this. They knew this. there's something real here you don't want to mess with. But again, I think one of our enemies today is... Well, everything's pretty good. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Let's just keep rolling. Let's just keep leaving it as it is. Whereas um, sometimes, and I'm not saying the Lord's doing this to people. He's not. But some people hit a point where they can't take it anymore. Some people get a point where maybe their life is so bad that... They cry out from a different place. It's not just, hey, yeah, Lord, I'd like you to do something. It comes from within. And it's, 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 a, it's a heartfelt cry to God that makes a connection. And then their life is transformed and they experience the Lord. So I know some people come and they receive the Lord and they're at rock bottom. And that's the reason they came to the Lord. Other people, they don't get to that place, but they recognize the need. And they come to the Lord anyway. Those of us who are saved, how does it have to look? What does it need to be? Do things need to get really bad and then we'll get serious? Or could we, I don't know, but I think there might be a few. Could we, in the middle of, things are pretty good, my life's generally okay, generally doing pretty well. Could we get serious even in that place just because it's the right thing to do? Could we intentionally, I'm not forced to pray. I'm not forced to give up. I'm not forced to make a change, but I recognize the potential of what my life and therefore the extension of my life to my life to others can be. And so, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it even if I'm not pressed into doing it. Even if I'm not forced into it. Even if if no one else is doing it. I'm just going to find him. I'm going to not be disappointed. The Bible says about Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah and the the whale. The Bible says about him in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 7. This is the Amplified Bible. He said, when my soul fainted upon me, crushing me, I earnestly and seriously remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now he's in the belly of the whale. <laughs> and what happened with him? 
he got serious. And I think we could probably understand. It's pretty dire straits here. I mean, this is a pretty serious situation. But he prayed different, didn't he? His prayers took on a little different tone. They had a little different serious nature to them when he was in the belly of the whale, when he was uh, in in dire straits in his life. Uh, What does it take to make you and I serious? A whale? Do Do we need a whale of a problem before we'll pray? Because I've, I've, I've witnessed individuals who were at the, their life had fallen apart. I mean, just some really tough stuff, really bad situations. And they'll pray like they never prayed before. They'll pray with a seriousness. They'll show up to a meeting. They'll, they'll, they'll have a seriousness to, to their life that they never had before. And my heart is great you know i'm glad you are glad you're here god will meet you in your hour of need and he is your help he is your healer he is your savior but if you had done that you know again i'm I'm not throwing rocks but if you had done this a year ago god would have met you there too and you could have avoided this and still experienced god and that's what my desire is that's what my heart is that we all have that we all make a connection on that level Without it getting to that. You know, Israel cried out to the Lord when they were a slave nation in Egypt. And the Bible says, and then, and then the Lord heard them. I mean, they'd been there generation after generation after generation. But finally it got bad enough where they prayed different. Finally they got bad enough, it got bad enough where they cried out to the Lord and they prayed to Him. And it took on a different tone because it reached the heart of God. And He sent a deliverer. I don't ever want to mistake God's grace and, uh, you know, for approval of a non-serious, disconnected life. What do I mean by that? In His grace, He's kind towards us. He's not, he's not punishing us. He's not judging. He's not, he's not coming down on us. He's showing us grace and mercy and kindness. But because that's the case, it's common in human history that people will compare themselves to others. And they think everything's fine. In comparison to what? Well, life is pretty good. In comparison to what? Your neighbor? Someone else you know that's doing a little bit worse than you? Because that's a pretty low bar. How about, how about if we're going to do any comparing, we compare to Jesus? How about we compare to Adam and Eve before the fall, walking with God in the cool of the day? How about we, we compare with those at the throne of God that surround Him right now, giving Him glory and honor and the, 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 the measure of His presence and power and majesty surrounding them all the day. And then we, we look at our lives and say, this stinks. <laughs> and not just be okay comparing to Uh, others around us in our culture, our world, or even many places in the world, we know we have it far better off in our country, and we could think, everything's great. But compared to what? Compared to death? Compared to poverty and lack? Compared to absolute despair? Or compared to the potential of a God-possessed life, of His presence surrounding us, and it's so good we can hardly stand it, of God's glory emanating through us so it affects and impacts others around us? 
How about we compare to what can be, to the fullness, the ultimate of God's promise, and anything shy of that, we're not okay with. I'm not going to accept it. And I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to treat it as serious as I'm stuck in a whale here. And my prayers start to look different. Amen. Don't let the presence of options deceive you into thinking that you should have options. There is something in the Lord that we all recognize, and that's called free will, choice. We know even from the beginning that God uh, created man, Adam, Eve, Garden of Eden, tree in the middle, many trees, but one tree said don't do it. We know that true love has to have a choice involved. In other words, I, I have to choose to love, and then it's the real deal, right? We choose to have the Lord in our life, and there's something special about that choice as opposed to you were forced. You were made to. You were just created this way, and you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just all decided for you, okay? There's something valuable in a relationship when, when someone chooses to be in that relationship, However, uh, the people who continually make the right choice are those who consider there to be no alternatives to God. If I keep in my mind the idea that I'm choosing, that there are, let me, let me say it this way, there are a lot of options out there, and I've got to make sure and choose the right option. I think a better approach to this is To not every day walk by the tree that you're not supposed to have is pretty much stay away from it and don't ever think about it. I think a better way to approach life and making decisions that promote progress and connection with God and and, and enjoying His best is to think of life this way, that there are no alternatives to God. There is only one choice. What are, so what are you going to choose? What do you mean choose? There, there really isn't anything else. And if you think about it, when you come to a level of experience with God, you realize the comparison factor is the world or God. There are no choices here. I mean, that's not a choice to go back. To go back into sin, into bondage, into slavery, into that life compared to the life of God and living in His love? What are you talking about choice? The choice has been made. I'm never going back. I'm never going to return that way. I've decided once for all. Those who think that uh, there are alternatives... And they, they, they consider that word. There's choices. There's options. There's a backup plan. There's all this stuff. Well, what that often leads to is it, it allows sin to linger in a person's so-called Christian life. Because they consider it worthy. They consider it relevant. It leads people to rely upon man. To rely upon natural means for healing in their bodies. It's just, well, I have a choice. I can pray, I can trust God, or I can do this. 
It leads people to depend on their environment for their happiness. If I only lived there instead of here. If I only had this happening in my, in my life instead of what is happening. And they consider that there are options. There's, there's choices here to be made. No. Um, there's only God's way. There's only living with Him. There's only seeking Him. There is nothing else. When I think there's something else, I'll consider it. I'll ponder it. It will grow in magnitude in my life. It'll, it'll start making sense. It'll start seeming more real than the very presence of God that saved me and washed me and give, has given me life with Him. And all of a sudden we'll be looking at, hmm, what do I do today? Should I do this? Hmm. Then we struggle with a fight. We struggle with the temptation. We struggle with the issues that, that surround us. And we think there's alternative lives. For a, no, 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 no. You're saved. You've been born of God. There, there is no option to that. It is everything. I, I, I'm thankful, and some might take this wrong, but I'm thankful that when I was growing up, we had a lot of things that weren't altogether perfect, but one thing we did is, and my parents raised us this way, when it came Sunday morning, we never asked the question, shall we go to church today? And so, I mean, I don't even get credit for that. And later when I got, when I was on my own, I started, I went beyond that because of my personal relationship with God. Uh, but I never had to struggle when I got on my own of, of what people said, hmm, should we watch the game or should we go to church? It was just, there were no, no alternatives. And so I, go, I grew up with a good habit. Now, some could say that's legalism or whatever you want to call it, but that's not true. That's not true. It was a good spiritual habit in my life to be associating with the saints of God, to hear the word, worship in one, worship with the believers. And so I never, I mean, now, it's, of course, I don't have that option. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you might think that's because you do what you do. No, it's not. Because uh, if I didn't do what I do, I would be the same. Absolutely. Um, but I grew up that, that way, and so it, it was never a struggle. In other words, what? There, weren't, there wasn't an alternative thought. There wasn't, well, you could act this way, you could live this way, or you could act this way, you could live this way. No, it's just this way. It's just the way it is. What becomes that way in your life? What becomes the norm? The only way for you to live and experience God. You find that, you enjoy that, and dismiss everything else. There is no other life. That guy died. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. The old man is dead, never to be resurrected. And I'm not going to stir him up. I'm not going to play around the graveyard. Uh, I'm not going to think about the way things used to be and talk about the good old days because now my life is in him and he is all there is. That mindset, that approach to the things of God will dismiss everything that's trying to pull you away. Romans says that, we've, that we are dead to sin. Think about it. If it were only God or die, how would we pray then? How would we trust? But the options are enormous in our world. Man has so many alternative methods and ways. And Well, you can pray and you can seek God, or that doesn't really work too well. You could 
do this or this or this, or you can try this, and you've got this plan, and we can set you up over here, and maybe this will work out. And the presence of these options causes us to live a life that's far beneath our potential, far beneath what God has in store for us. Rid your mind of alternatives. There's only Jesus. There's only the will of God, the kingdom of God, righteousness, His power, His glory, His strength. That's the only thing that there is. Amen. I, I heard a, about a little boy who was in Sunday school, and a teacher asked a, a question and said, what's small and gray and it eats nuts and has a big bushy tail? And a little boy said, well, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but I, 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 it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> well, it was a squirrel. But I tell you what, concerning about everything else, make your answer Jesus. I'm talking about to life's most important questions of how I'm going to live, how I'm going to conduct myself, who am I going to rely upon, who's the answer to my need, huh? Some say, well, he's not always the answer. Are you sure? I mean, not to that. But, uh, you know, person's having health problems. What's the answer? Make him your only answer and watch what you find. Watch what you come in, watch what you come in contact with. Someone said, I'm, I'm, I'm lonely or I'm single and I want to be married. And I, I, I want rela- relationship. What's your answer? It's Jesus. That doesn't mean the other's, the other's wrong. I'm telling you still, the answer is Jesus. If you'll get settled and satisfied and, and rest in Him, watch Him and make other things happen. If you just make Him the answer. Amen. So the answer is supposed to be Jesus, right? Huh? It is Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, the, uh, the only man who can be sure he has true Bible faith is the one who has put himself in a position where he cannot go back. He also said, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve God in case God fails it. What is this? The presence of options. It's allowing there to be another way just in case. I say, let's just be all in. Let's just say, Lord, you're the only one for me. Lord, you, you are the only one I live for. You are my life and my breath and my strength. Everything that's in me. It is, it is Peter walking on the water. It is stepping out of the boat where it's either God or I'm going down. It is, Goli- it is David uh, with the sling and the stones and Goliath about to take his head off. And David doesn't creep up there, but he runs at him full speed. He says, I'm taking you out. You defy the armies of the living God. I come against you in his name. Amen. He knew he had a relationship with God and he was good to go. It is that level of, I'm going in and if, if God doesn't back me up, we're dead. But I'm going to go ahead and, and say, Lord, you are who you are, who you said you are. You do what you said you, you're, you're going to do. Amen. There's an old, old song that people used to sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Anybody know that song? And it ends with what? No turning back. No turning back.
because I've decided, decision made, and He's all there is. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your goodness and your kindness toward us. Thankful for your grace in our lives. Lord, you're doing a good work here in our midst. Lord, my prayer is again today that those presence would would have a a seriousness about you about what's real about eternal things like they've never had before because of this we've got your word on it that we would find you when we approach you this way father i want every person I want every lost person to find you as their Savior. I want every saved person to to find you in every other way that matters. As their provider and healer and friend and counselor and help. The glory and the lifter of their heads. In all areas of life. Jesus, be the center of it all be the answer for each one because you are thank you for doing a work and stirring our hearts today to walk with you to walk with you in a better way than we have before for this we give you all the thanks and all the praise in Jesus mighty name amen amen